The following podcast was produced by PHC Corporation of North America, formerly known as the Panasonic Healthcare Corporation of North America. Welcome to the Panasonic Healthcare Information Network, a service of Panasonic Healthcare Corporation of North America. Hi again, this is Bill White with the Panasonic Healthcare Information Network. Uh, we are with Carl Radosevich today. Carl's the business intelligence and product manager for Panasonic Healthcare of North America. Carl's based in Wooddale, Illinois, and today's subject, Carl, is one near and dear to your heart, and that's the concept of reproducibility in scientific investigation. Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. Okay. Well, first of all, let's define what it is. Well, you know, reproducibility is a is a hot topic today in in the scientific community in the research world. Reproducibility means we can create a result, experiment, or data that's reproducible within the lab, and a result, experiment, or data that can be reproducible uh, by a skilled person within a different laboratory, with or without uh, direct interaction with the authors of of those original results. So if you have to kind of sum it up, to simply put it, reproducible investigations are repeatables by others and themselves and driven by methods and protocols that are unambiguous in nature. So on uh, from a practical standpoint, if we are looking at a body of research and we collaborate with people all over the world, part of our um, are part of the scientific community and we see research results and we find out methods and approaches and what they use, what media or what whatever those parameters might be. And we need to advance the research. We need to replicate those, those mm-hmm. uh, that work. And because we know there's so many ambiguities associated with everything from media type, storage, uh, handling, um, whatever, we have to start eliminating areas of uncertainty. And that's one of the things that Panasonic Healthcare has done with the development of their product line, and most specifically, their um, their cell culture incubators. Absolutely, yeah. I think you hit on a good point. In a lab, there are so many moving parts and natural variables, all of which can uh, affect the reproducibility of a given experiment, right? The, like you said, this includes variation and in components, uh, human interactions, just slight differences in techniques. Somebody once told me that when I was working in a lab, and this always kind of stayed with me, that doing molecular biology was uh, like cooking a complex recipe with ingredients that you can't see. So naturally, we're at a bit of a disadvantage, the scientists, when trying to conduct our own experiments, let alone trying to reproduce somebody else's. So yeah, I mean, the light that has been shed on this quote-unquote you know, reproducibility crisis by the likes of the Nature publication and other kind of high-level uh, peer-reviewed sources really calls for a, a need to have higher demand for reproducible experiments and more transparency within the lab environment from a protocol standpoint, but also the responsibility is set on the manufacturer of life science research equipment to produce equipment that these scientists use that allows for the reproducibility of their experiments in an effective way. Carl, we refer to that article in Nature in uh, May of 2016, which is is one of the earlier articles that brought 
to the forefront something we've always known, and that is people do things differently, but their findings were that 70% of the scientists surveyed couldn't replicate someone else's research. Well, that's one thing, but then you get to the next finding was that half of them admitted they couldn't replicate their own research. Right. What a wake-up call. So where Mm -hmm. does that leave us? Yeah, I think those are two important points. And, you know, to add to that, a couple of other key stats, 70% cannot replicate their own research. Like you said, 50% can't replicate their own. Also, about 90% of those polled, and it was a very significant poll of over 1,500 researchers, they agreed that there was at least a slight reproducibility crisis in the research world. So really where that leaves us, the scientific community and the manufacturing community, is that really displays a need for better reproducibility to realize the synergies worldwide through collaborative research. So we need more transparency to protocols, more details into all the moving parts, as you mentioned, meaning storage conditions, brands of media, brands of this and that, but also the call for more highly sophisticated research type equipment brought on by manufacturers such as Panasonic. Okay, so that leads us to another opportunity to tell our listeners that we will be posting a uh, referral that will probably continue as we find new research or new uh, observations on this reproducibility issue. We'll be publishing those links so that uh, we can engage our customers and our scientific investigators in the conversation. We're with Carl Radosevich, the business intelligence and product manager with Panasonic Healthcare Corporation of North America. We'll be back with Carl in just a moment. You're listening to the Panasonic Healthcare Information Network. Carl, those parameters that we're talking about that we can control typically manifest themselves with the environmental conditions in not only the cell culture incubator, but in other products. But let's focus on the incubator for a moment. What are the primary conditions we know that we can control with an extraordinary amount of accuracy? It's important when purchasing a CO2 incubator or considering the technology to look at a set of five or six parameters that the CO2 incubator is responsible for controlling. One, temperature control. Two, pH control directly through the levels of CO2 gas. Three, if the protocol requires it, oxygen control. Bill, we talked at length in a separate podcast about the the need for hypoxia to get physiological oxygen conditions in tissue culture. Four, elevated relative humidity to limit or minimize desiccation of liquid media, as well as how does your incubator control contamination or mitigate incoming contamination of microbes within the system. And we also have some pre and post incubator work that goes on with respect to storage of uh, media in stable conditions. And then once we're done with the cell culture work, we have to preserve them in uh, ultra-low freezers or other freezers with a high degree of repeatability. Uh, let's go back, but focusing in the cell culture equation on the incubator. And, and noted, we can do a an hour on every one of these parameters, but again, we have mm-hmm. a lot of uh, 
resources available through Panasonic Healthcare, your sales reps and others who can set these things forth in a context with competitive products. One of the things I wanted to touch on, Carl, was this business of passive and active contamination control. Every time you open mm-hmm. the door of an incubator, you're inviting the world in, and we really can't avoid that unless you're in a some sort of a clean room or a closed system. But right. what are we doing with the Panasonic product line to mitigate that? We have a number of different approaches. Absolutely, and uh, we really have some unique and fantastic technology to mitigate and eliminate any sort of contamination. Again, it all goes back to what we were talking about previously and how Panasonic healthcare contributes to minimizing uncertainty and encouraging reproducibility with experiments. And there's nothing that will add more variability or limit reproducibility within tissue culture experiments than microbial contaminants, right? So what Panasonic has integrated into their incubators, and this dates back to 30 plus years of evolving this technology, is that we've implemented what I like to call different layers of contamination control and decontamination technology. Now we start with the material that our incubator interiors are manufactured with. And we have a specially patented copper-enriched stainless steel interior that the shelves and the walls and the floor of the incubator are made with that we call IncuSafe, right? And so this actually has elemental copper hybridized with your stainless steel metals, and this material allows for the germicidal properties that copper does provide against microbes while not allowing for this typical 100% copper tarnishing events. So it's not going to rust or kind of deteriorate like 100% copper material will. It won't have that sort of patina effect, it's called. It'll keep a nice clean environment while having that germicidal event. So So when the door is opened, anything that happens to enter that incubator that lands on a shelf or a, a wall is essentially going to die. It's it's not going to be supported in terms of a, any kind of a life cycle. Carl, so much for the the passive um, uh, contamination mitigation, which is really engineered into the product by Panasonic. Let's talk about the active contamination control and what we're doing to deal with what happens after a door is open and closed. Yeah, I think that's a great point. To Let's think about when we close that door after we've processed our cells, after we've run an experiment, after we've had our hands on it. We're putting these cells back into what we think is their happy place. But of course, right before that, we have exposed them and the incubator to an external environment. So what do we have in terms of technology to bring in this minimization of uncertainty and to encourage Uh, reproducibility within the the experiments. When you close the door of that incubator, if it is the case that you did bring some airborne microbes or any sort of living contaminant within that incubator, they're going to be caught in the specialized airflow of the Panasonic incubator. And so once they sort of get quote-unquote trapped in this airflow of this incubator, Panasonic in the back of the unit behind a specialized plenum where the airflow runs past, we have an ultraviolet light, right? As that airflow carrying these contaminants 
goes past this UV light a number of times by the idea of serial dilution of that air, we are exposing these contaminants to UV light and thus killing them as we're actively culturing our cells. Likewise, this UV light also is directed towards the surface of the humidity pan, which is holding the water that provides the elevated relative humidity like we spoke about earlier. This ultraviolet light plays a role in really kind of zapping those bugs that are flowing through the air that you may have brought in when you open the door, but also it is uh, kind of decontaminating at every door opening the surface of the water that also can be a harbor for those uh, contaminants as well. Okay. So again, we're minimizing the risk of any sort of airborne pathogen getting into our precious cultures by eliminating them sort of in their step. So we have a couple of um, tools working for us, active and passive when the incubator doors is ultimately closed. We're with Carl Radosevich, Panasonic Healthcare Corporation of North America, and we're talking about reproducibility in a scientific investigation, specifically in the cell culture world. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Panasonic Healthcare Information Network. We're back with Carl Radosevich of Panasonic Healthcare Corporation. The topic is reproducibility in the cell culture environment. Specifically, we're talking about incubators. Carl, once we're done with the process, we've, we've done all of the uh, work in controlling temperature, pH through CO2 control, O2, if that's in the protocol. We've given you good uh, elevated humidity to minimize the desiccation of the media, and we've given you both active and passive contamination control. So right. when we're done and we have to start something new, what are the options for making sure we've got a clean slate to work within that incubator? I think it's a, a very important point, and I think it's an often overlooked aspect within your incubators about something that can contribute to the lack of reproducibility or that can introduce some variability kind of unknowingly to the researcher, which can be very detrimental. So we talk about the idea of controlling kind of an airborne um, kind of environmental microbes, uh, which is obviously a very important consideration. But kind of the other hand of the contamination that's extremely important is cross-contamination between cell lines. If I'm working uh, in a shared incubator, which most often researchers are sharing their incubator, either, uh, either with their own lab or uh, with an adjacent lab or with some colleagues, oftentimes you have a quote-unquote stronger cell line it's really important to choose an incubator that will be the best at kind of quote unquote resetting the table properly. And what I mean by this is that when we're done with certain process or a certain experiment, or we just want to, like you said, wipe a clean slate, we really need to consider some really effective decontamination options. And I think this is maybe something we can go a little bit further in depth, perhaps with a different conversation, but it is important to note that Panasonic Healthcare, where we have some very unique and interesting technologies on your day-to-day -day culturing that's working in the background as your cells are in the incubator. We also have a very broad array of decontamination technologies to limit the instances of 
cross-contamination should someone spill media or to limit any further growth of any external microbes that may have gotten in the incubator. So we do have options that are available in the form of dry heat decontamination, which is a little bit longer of a protocol, but it exposes your incubator to 180 degrees Celsius of heat, thus eliminating um, any microbes or spilled cells from a flask or a petri dish by heat exposure. But we also have a, a unique technology in the form of vaporized, an in-situ vaporized uh, hydrogen peroxide model. So this actually works together with the UV light that we discussed earlier, and we vaporize hydrogen peroxide much like they do inside hospital rooms now or other enclosed chambers, or even you kind of see them in, to decontaminate a biological safety cabinet. We actually took that idea and were the first ones to introduce it to an incubator. So you have a, a much quicker turnaround time in less than three hours that you can vaporize this hydrogen peroxide and let that UV light resolve that hydrogen peroxide to sterile water and oxygen, and you have a clean decontaminated incubator in less than three hours. So again, Panasonic Healthcare provides these options for resetting the table and making sure when we're introducing new experiments that we have the best reproducibility environment possible. Okay, Carl. So in summary, reproducibility is what we're all about. Without reproducibility, the other parameters, no matter how accurate they may be, aren't really helping the investigators. So we have to do it the same way every day, every time, and give them what we call minimizing uncertainty so they know they can count on uh, at least one part of the cell culture equation every time they use it. Absolutely. And when we are engineering these pieces of equipment, we are really thinking about the reproduction of experiment, the reproducibility of experiments, the repeatability of experiments. So when you're dialing in a set point, whether it's heat, uh, whether it's CO2 gas, whether it's oxygen gas, we are going to mimic those parameters as closely as any other lab has done. And we're gonna limit the variability of those parameters on a day-to-day -day basis. So those 50% of researchers can reproduce their own experiments. So we're thinking about the entire continuum of not only mimicking in vivo environments like we talked about in a previous podcast, but also allowing for uh, reproducibility through really high technology. Lots to talk about, Carl, and we can go on, but certainly we'll have resources for our listeners to uh, access, and you're always available to answer questions. We know that. We've been uh, with Carl Radosevich, who's the Business Intelligence and Product Manager for Panasonic Healthcare of North America. Carl, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Bill. It was a lot of fun. You've been listening to the Panasonic Healthcare Information Network, a service of Panasonic Healthcare Corporation of North America, serving life science, pharmaceutical, clinical, and biotechnology markets for over 50 years. The preceding podcast was produced by PHC Corporation of North America, formerly known as the Panasonic Healthcare Corporation of North America.